Why Philosophical Discussions About Everyday Life is produced by the Institute for Philosophy and Public Life, a division of the University of North Dakota's College of Arts and Sciences. Visit us online at whyradioshow.org. Hi, I'm Jack Russell Weinstein, host of Why Philosophical Discussions About Everyday Life. On today's episode, we'll be asking Feroz Manji, what does it mean to be African? Please visit whyradioshow.org for our archives, show notes, and to support the program. Click Donate on the upper right-hand corner to make your tax-deductible donations through the University of North Dakota Secure website. We exist solely on listener contributions. I'll admit I'm a little unsure about how to start today's episode. Part of me wants to begin with basic information. Africa is a continent, not a country. It's huge, three times the size of the U.S. And if you add China, India, Eastern Europe, and several Western European countries to the mix, they'd all fit within its borders at the same time. Also, despite the outsider's perception that Africa is predominantly rural, 50% of its populations live in urban areas. There are two problems with this beginning. I suspect that most of my listeners know these things, and they're just facts, nothing more. Information presented without context isn't knowledge, it's trivia. To know about Africa, one has to know about its peoples and its histories, its multitudinous cultures and their clashes. One has to acknowledge the things people say about the continent and expose the stuff that people choose not to say out loud. Too many teachers treat Africa as a spot on a map, not a collection of meaningful lives. But even this falls short of our needs. We're not here for a history lesson, and our guest isn't going to present a sociology lecture. Our goal today is to develop a philosophy of Africa. We're trying to deconstruct the two-dimensional story about the continent most of us have been raised to believe and replace it with something more sophisticated, something that helps us understand not just geography and demographics, but what it means to be African. Our current philosophy of Africa seems to be reducible to the claims, there is not here, they are not us. All of them need our charity. The irony is that in the United States, anyway, most discussions about Africa are so impoverished that presenting my list of facts can actually be a significant step forward. It gets people to consider that Africa is not just a monolithic shape on a size-distorted map, but that it, like any other region of the world, revolves around difference. Its individuals are not identical. Its countries are not synonymous with one another. Its existence is not regressive. Its people are not useless. The European-American philosophy of Africa has never really gotten past the horrendous euphemism coined in the 19th century, the Dark Continent. What does this mean? The original interpretation is that the African continent was considered dark because it was mysterious, unknown to European explorers. But how unknown could it have been if the transatlantic slave trade had already spent three centuries raiding, kidnapping, exploiting, and abusing its inhabitants? The Europeans knew enough about it to find their victims. They knew what to expect around the next corner. The Dark Continent also suggests that Africa was stuck in the pre-modern. Its inhabitants were said to be savage, uneducated, and superstitious. And even though it was not even true then, this is still the account regularly presented in most American schools. Yes, American schools, where mass shootings take place every day, where most of the population knows almost nothing about the rest of the world, where as many as 80% of Americans claim to believe in angels. Talk about savage, uneducated, and superstitious, but, but I digress. Ultimately, the dark continent evokes the color of its habitant's skin. 
all Africans are blacks, we're led to believe, despite the fact that North Africans, such as Egyptians and Libyans, are often mistaken for brown Middle Easterners, and ignoring the fact that giant cities like Lagos, Kinshasa, and Johannesburg have diverse cosmopolitan populations and are equally intertwined with the same multinational corporations that we engage with every day. Africans also watch Netflix and Disney+. Plus. Whatever the dark continent is, it's not supposed to have white people. This, at least, was the premise of Charlize Theron's monologue when she hosted Saturday Night Live in the year 2000. The pale-skinned blonde actress introduced herself by reporting that she was raised in South Africa, and in response, the black actor, Tracy Morgan, planted in the audience, shouted, "'See, you're an African-American!' Throne meditates on it and agrees. He then offers her some Newport cigarettes, but she whips out her own, saying, "'That's okay, I got my cools.' Everyone laughs. Eventually, Morgan cries out, it's about time they let a sister host the show. And you're fine, too. Your ass a little bony, but that's okay. There's a little more banter. They clap fists, and she introduces the musical guest. That's the joke. A skinny white woman was raised in Africa. An undeniable premise they can riff on for five minutes. Now, NBC executives must not think the joke is funny anymore, though because the video of it is no longer available through their online archives. I couldn't find any recording of it at all, only a transcript from a third-party website. Which part did they find offensive? The stereotypes or the race play? I can only guess. It was a different time. Today's guest is going to get us past the myth of the dark continent and present a philosophy of Africa focused on unity and liberation, one that acknowledges the impact of its colonial past and recognizes that the continent is made up of more than just developing countries that need Western aid. Together, we'll explore a theory of being African that is modern and respectful of an insider's perspective, one self-designed, not one imposed upon others. 1.4 billion people live in Africa. I think it's worth asking about the world on their terms. And now our guest. Ferozmanji is an adjunct professor at the Institute for African Studies, the Richard von Weissacker Fellow at the Robert Bosch Academy, and Associate Fellow at the Institute for Policy Studies. He has more than 40 years' experience in international development, his health and human rights. He has published widely on these topics, including being the publisher at the nonprofit Daraja Press. Feroz, thank you for joining us on Why. Well, thank you for having me on the show, and um, I look forward to our conversation. If you'd like to participate, share your favorite moments from the show and tag us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is always at Y Radio Show. You can always email us at askyundu.edu. Listen to our previous episodes for free. Learn more. Please rate us on iTunes and Spotify so that others can find the show. And we very much appreciate if you'd help us make a 15th season possible by going to yradioshow.org and clicking donate in the right-hand corner. Okay, so, Feroz, my opening monologue feels pretty, I don't know, weighted towards the past. So I guess the first thing I should ask is whether I'm being unfair. Is it even possible to talk about Africa without acknowledging colonialism? Uh, it's a good question. Um, but I think, uh, I think we need to go even further back. Because, um, I mean, colonialism was a relatively late stage of the takeover of the continent by, by Europe. Um, let me just give you, give you an example. You know, uh, around... 800 AD, uh, the, the population of that continent comprised about 150 to 200 million humans. By 1600, 
That's the beginning period of enslavement of Africans, the wars against Africans uh, to capture slaves. Um, the population had reached somewhere in the region of 600 to 800 million souls. By 1960, at the end of the colonial period and the rise of independence in Africa, the population of Africa, the continent of Africa, comprised only 130 million humans. That's to say that nearly 90% of its population had disappeared as a result of enslavement and colonialism and genocide and mass killings. Um, so, so, you know, we're talking about, uh, it, by 1960, the population was smaller than it had been uh, in the year 800. And now, now that I think sets the context. Uh, if that had happened in the in the in the U.S. today, with its 330 million um, people, um, you'd be left with only 16 million. And and the extent of the damage to the people of the continent, um, those figures only give you downy sort of numbers, but they give you some sense. Of the, the 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 damage, and and so in a sense, you're you're right. We you know we have we can't talk about Africa without talking about the the destruction of humanity uh, over over a long period, um, some five hundred years, um, and in a sense, I mean, if you'd let me say, I mean, I mean, the reason why slaves were captured uh, and and taken across the the Atlantic. Um, was because there had been a mass genocide of the original populations of the Americas and the Caribbean, um, and 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 so in a sense we can't even talk about uh, Africa without also taking into account uh, that horrifying period, um, and and so uh, these histories are are, are interconnected. Um, so, so you know, I think we have to extend your your question in that sense to look at a much broader uh, slice, and we and we're talking about what has been done to humans, uh, and I think that has to be the starting point of any discussions. It's not Africans; these were humans who came from a particular part of uh, the, the 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 geography of the world. Um, and a very large continent, as you pointed out. So I want to ask a question, and it's such a weird question. I, I, I feel horrified just, just even uttering the, the, the words. But given what you've suggested, is there a conspiracy in the sense that we talk about slavery rather than the genocide because it's actually the lesser of two evils. I mean, is 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 there such an effort to hide the true history of Africa and the true horrors that even the discussion about slavery and the transatlantic slave trade makes us feel better about what we do than the horrors that you articulate? Well, I mean, it, it may well be that that's that's a perception uh, that is perpetuated in 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 America and North America and, 
and in Europe. Um, but you know what we are talking about is is the 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 fact that these crimes were committed uh, on the basis, first of all, of saying that there were no people, no humans in 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 North America, um, and 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 you know the the papal edict. Uh, which which said that you know which described the uh, the the the, the um, doctrine of development or doctrine of 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 discovery. Sorry, um, and, and 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 they declared that there were no humans on on uh, the American continent, and they then said there were no humans on the African continent, and 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 in that sense. Uh, they condemned huge uh, sectors of humanity to be considered as less than human or indeed not human at all. And I think, you know, although slavery has existed in in human societies for, for millennia, uh, the particular form of enslavement and slavery that took place uh, from the from the fifteenth uh, century onwards, uh, was to turn just to consider humans as cattle. The, the word they're called chattel slaves, and chattel slavery. The word chattel comes from the old English word for cattle, and and they were literally treated as cattle. And just as the progeny of cattle can only remain cattle. So the distinguishing feature of the of the European and American slave trade was to turn humans into into cattle, and that it, it was distinct from other forms of slavery, in that you that, that your children and your children's children would forever be slaves, uh, until of course there were uprisings. By by slaves who were determined to to reclaim their humanity to to invent what it means to be human, and I think the uh, Haitian Revolution, the Revolution of um, eighteen ninety four to, uh, to sorry, seventeen uh, seventeen ninety one to eighteen o four, which led to the formation of the Haitian uh, state, was was a revolution by slaves, by African slaves, most of whom had only arrived in the previous five years in uh, the island of Saint-Domingue. And in in declaring their revolution, the, the first successful revolution by slaves, they declared themselves not as freed slaves. They declared themselves as humans. Okay, and I think that's really important because what they also did was that all those white people uh, who fought alongside them in the revolution, they defined them as black and human. The word black was not a color. It was a description of being human. And I think that's a really important uh, uh, aspect, and I think becomes a sort of way we have to start looking at Africa, not as as a um, as you said, you know, uh, an uncivilized place and so on, but these are these are hu- humanity. Uh, I mean, I think it's it, it's important, you know, to hear. Maybe I should sort of 
just point out that that in un, until the the fifteenth uh, and sixteenth centuries, um, the people humans who lived on that uh, that geographic entity, Africa, the African continent, um, never called themselves African. I mean, you know, there were Zimbabweans, there were Egyptians, there were Malians, there were uh, people from all the different uh, empires and cities and and regions of 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 uh, the continent. They, they, there was no conception of being African. Africa, the word African, was a derogatory term, uh, a shorthand for the less than human or non-human that the Europeans used to justify their uh, enslavement and capture of humans and and it's it's really interesting that that word comes from europe it's not from africa itself uh, and it was a derogatory term but just like uh, um derogatory terms like queer and and gay and so on have been appropriated by those who are from that and and turned into something to be proud of. So we see in the movements that arose against the, the colonial ventures uh, that led to independence, everyone associated the word Africa. It was appropriated as a word linked to freedom and the, the aspiration for human emancipation. And I think that's where the word African comes from. And it's... it's, it, it's uh, an appropriation of a derogatory term and turned into a, uh, a, a, a way of giving expression to uh, a reclamation of humanity, uh, reclaiming that we are human, that we will invent what it means to be human. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> there, there's so much here, and I, I, I want to eventually get back to the discussion about Haiti, and I'm very interested in this notion of whether or not this notion of uh, this idea of, of, of Africa as pan-Africa is is artificial or a form of liberation. But I, I want to go back to this idea of this, and I'm going to steal your word from your writing here, this taxonomy of um, human and black and human. And of course, that has uh, strong tentacles throughout the political debate in the United States. Can one see when looks at when one looks at the various cultures within Africa? Can one see an internalization of this dehumanization? Does it happen across the continent, and does it happen in a pattern? Right, I would assume it doesn't all happen at the same time in all the same places. But is it possible? When the, 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 the various peoples of Africa start to reflect on who they are, are they forced by circumstance, by pressure, by abuse, by discrimination to internalize this dehumanization? And how much does it intertwine in the cultural self-image across the continent, or were they able to resist it because the experience was so obviously awful for so many people? Well, I think there's two parts to that. First of all, the, the, the whole experience of being considered less than human 
uh, in the period of, of, of both enslavement and colonialism led to people having la- no respect for themselves. I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, if, if, like, like, you know, if you go to school and people treat you as an animal, uh, if you, if you, if you're in a society which, which just treats you, you know, can shoot you on the streets and then and, and nobody bothers uh, about who has shot you, um, then, 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 then of course there's, it'll have an impact on your own psyche. Um, but in but in but in Africa, you know, there were, there were 500 years of this kind of, uh, you know, forcing people to to, in a sense, self hate as being because of uh, uh, being considered uh, less than human. But the but the important point is here that that in that period, which you know really came to a head in the sort of post Second World War period from 1950s onwards, where there were across. The continent there was from Cape to Cairo, from Djibouti to Dakar, and there was without exception mass movements up where uh, uprose. People organized to reclaim their humanity, to to declare we are human and we want our freedom. And freedom was 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 the word that became associated with being African. The problem has been that in in after independence, the, the, the many of the regimes that took over uh, basically detached the word African from the concept of freedom. Instead, we were left with, uh, a, a, we, we had to aspire to development rather than to freedom. And, and that then resulted in, once you detach the concept of being African from the concept of freedom, then all you're left with is a taxonomy, uh, which means uh, that that you know uh, in Kenya, well, you know you have uh, Kikuyus, you have uh, uh, the Swahili, you have the Mijikenda, you have the Luor, you have, and so on and so forth, uh, and each retreats into a cultural identity. Now, there's nothing wrong when we all have different cultures. That's great. It's part of something to be celebrated. But if it's detached from any concept of becoming human, of, of reclaiming humanity, of inventing what it means to be human, then all you are left with is a taxonomy. And, and it's a deterioration. And I think we see this deterioration everywhere. The ethnicism, the tribalism uh, that, that has been manifest. And it's not just in Africa that we see that. We see it in, in, in India today with the, with the, with the BJP uh, and attacks on, 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 on Muslims there. Um, and, 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 you know, we see it in, in the Americas. Um, and, and, and it's combined with a silence uh, about uh, what has been done and, and it really connecting to your earlier question um so so little until quite recently uh has there been an acknowledgement of the fact that that the majority of white people uh in in the americas are are settlers they're not migrants they're settlers uh and and that is defined as uh claiming that 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 because there are no humans, you can take land, you can take resources, and you can condemn people uh, to be uh, less than human. So, I mean, I think, you know, that 
remember that in the in the 1960s with the rise of the black power movement um it was incredible because you know it was it was so clear in 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 the black panthers declared quite clearly that that black was a political color it wasn't wasn't just a a a, a definition of skin the same same uh, argument was made by steve biko in south africa before he was murdered by the by the apartheid regime and and so you know to to consider black as as a way a shorthand for reclaiming uh a, a one's humanity um it is is something that has degenerated into uh black being the color of skin and therefore there's a debate about how dark you are and so on and so you know uh falling into traps uh that the, you know the, the 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 british created that the dif- difference between so-called arabs and and natives um and and even though um <laughs> Many uh, of of the uh, the Arabs were darker than the so-called natives that they they decided uh, uh, were, were were to be classified as such. We have to take a break, and when we come back, I want to get back to the, these two ideas that that you talked about. I'm reeling, by the way. I'm reeling by all the information. <laughs> it's it's one of these episodes where. Where, where the context is so horrifying that, that, that my philosophical brain is, is falling behind my, my, my emotional reaction. So when we get back, I want to talk about this idea of development and this idea of inventing humanity, because I think those are both really super philosophically rich. But for now, you're listening to Feroz Manji and Jack Russell Weinstein on why philosophical discussions about everyday life. We'll be back right after this. The Institute for Philosophy and Public Life bridges the gap between academic philosophy and the general public. Its mission is to cultivate discussion between philosophy professionals and others who have an interest in the subject, regardless of experience or credentials. Visit us on the web at philosophyandpubliclife.org. The Institute for Philosophy and Public Life, because there is no ivory tower. back with Why Philosophical Discussions in Everyday Life. I'm your host, Jack Russell Weinstein. We're talking with Feroz Manji, asking the question, what does it mean to be African? And when we took a break, uh, Feroz was talking about this idea that, that, that black and human is a separate category than human or has been uh, made to be such and reclaiming these various different words, uh, such as African, such as black and the history of, of, of some of these liberation movements. In the process he mentioned this word development. Now, there's an area in philosophy called development ethics, which is about the proper interaction between what we now call or what some people call developing nations and developed or advanced capitalist nations or other such things. And the idea is to raise the standard of living to of, of these developing nations and to find an ethical way to provide assistance, charity, and integrate these nations uh, better into the global market. But here's the thing. 
in this context, when Faroz uses the word development, it can mean a couple different things and it can be positive as well as negative. So development can be economic development, but if you're inventing humanity, it can also be personal development. And if we're talking about a group of, 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 of nations and peoples who are regarded as not fully developed, then that's not a good word. It's a bad word. So I guess the first question I want to get back to for Rose is this concept of development that gets used in relation in particular to the African continent. Is this a backhanded compliment? Is this a word that implies all sorts of things that maybe we should be more aware of rather than just a humanitarian desire to raise the the quality of life of a group of people. Okay, well, look, uh, um, as I, as I've, I've I've been talking about, you know that 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 uh, under under uh, the period of uh, of slavery, of enslavement, and of colonialism, uh, we were in Africa considered uh, not to be human, or at best, less than human. And then, uh, as as things developed, we were described as primitive uh, and uncivilized. And the task of the European uh, was to bring uh, us uh, to civilization, and uh, and and so on. It went, there were all different ways of expressing a fundamentally racist idea uh, that that. Uh, implicit in it was that the West, the white, the European, the the white settler, uh, white settlers of North America, etc., were the epitome of humankind. Everyone else was lower than that, and it fitted exactly with 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 the with the tradition of liberalism. I mean, just to remind you that you know the. The, the the birth of democracy in in the United States was uh, a product of the, the 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 both the Enlightenment and what the Enlightenment gave birth to liberalism, and in what liberalism did and has always done, has to be created a sacred space for the privileged and everyone else to be condemned to uh, sacrificial zones. And and so when democracy was born in the United States, only white male slave owners were allowed to vote or to be engaged in political work. Even their women folk were not allowed to participate. All the gains that have been made, the right to vote, the right to education, the right to health care, all these different things that, uh, and to uh, political organizing, the right freedom of speech, all these things were a product of not gifts of, of liberalism. These were fought for. The right of women to vote was fought for. There was blood, sweat, and tears fought for these things. The freedom of, of, of the independent struggles in, in, in the colonial world were fought for. They were not simply granted. And, and I think that's the important point here, that that was what was going on. And in the 1950s, you re, if you recall, um, Everyone was, was across Africa, every regime virtually uh, proclaimed themselves socialist. And the American were absolutely frightened by this idea of socialism. And so 
what happened? Truman came up with uh, the concept of development. And this was a continuity of this, this characterization of Africans as not modern. So they need to be developed. In the, or how Walter Rodney puts it in his amazing book, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, that, that we were considered underdeveloped, which is just another euphemism, another racist euphemism uh, for saying that we are not human, when we are less human than those who consider themselves developed. Uh, and, and that has been the, 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 what was promoted from 19, the early 1950s uh, across the continent, that never mind independence, freedom, etc., let's just talk about development, which of course feeds into the uh, white savior uh, industry that evolved, the Oxfam, Boxfam, Soxfam, SDF, all these acronymic uh, charitable organizations. Uh, which evolved. And and the hand that gives is always above the hand that receives. So it gave no, no uh, legitimacy to people, humans organizing to become agents of their own histories or to become, uh, to, to make the makers of history. Rather, they were once again uh, categorized not as how they categorized themselves, but how the West uh, categorized them, and so we were underdeveloped, in need of being developed. We were chaotic, not ordered. We were uh, we were all those things that Europe considered and the West considered itself uh, to be, and of course these are just racist stereotypes, and and so lots of money was poured poured into. Uh, into Africa. And everyone talks about how much money is being given. But if you take all the money that's been put in to Africa, including investments, including everything that uh, comes in the aid packages, everything that move, comes into Africa, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the last few years, it's been demonstrated that, that uh, the net amount that, uh, that you're left with that there's more exported out of Africa than there is actually cash put into the into the country. So we're talking about 200 billion uh, leaving the continent uh, every year, and that is just to give you an idea. The Marshall Plan. This is equivalent to something like the 10 times the the size of the Marshall Plan that was given to Europe. You know, that is what is being constantly extracted from the continent. And, and in those conditions, development has made us poorer. It's true in South Africa. Uh, workers have a, have a lower standard of living. There's more unemployment. There's more, uh, there's, uh, more landlessness across the continent uh, than there was at independence. I, I want to connect a few dots here. Um, the, the first being just uh, for some of our listeners, the Marshall Plan is the plan that uh, America came up with to help rebuild Europe after World War II. And liberalism is uh, 
a philosophy of individualism that stems from John Locke in the 17th century, sorry, uh, yeah, 17th century, based on individuality and, and, and individual freedom and the ability to, to choose your own way of life. That's an oversimplification. At the heart of, of, of liberalism is the idea that all human beings are free and all human beings are equal. And this is why this question of inventing what it means to be human beings is so important, because from an internal view, let's put aside the criticism of liberalism for a second, from an internal point of view, um, if every human being is of equal worth, if every human being gets to be uh, self-determining, if every human being gets to fulfill who they are fully, the only way to push people aside internally consistently is by declaring them non-human. And so this idea of development being based on the non-humanity of people makes this liberal philosophy consistent with this repressive point of view. And so I guess the question that comes up next is, what does it mean? And, and some of this may be covering some things that you've talked about already, but what does it mean to invent a human being, invent humanity? Why isn't humanity just what we see in the mirror? Why doesn't our brute existence give us what we need to be about humanity? Why is humanity a socially constructed idea or a politically constructed idea? And how have the various different voices that have come out of the various different African countries approached this reinvention? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, I just I think to emphasize the point you make that you know that liberalism depends on on the freedom of the individual, but that's only if you are considered human. If you're not human, you're part of the the, the sacrifice, the sacrificial zones. That you are you you are not uh, uh, legitimate uh, at 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 all uh, in 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 that situation. I think that's that's really really critical uh, for for this. Now, if you're considering that, like the vast majority of the people of this world have been considered and treated as being less than human uh, by, by, uh, well, by America, by Europe, and so on. Uh, and and uh, in so doing, and the, the consequences of considering other people less than human is the the brutality, the violence, the genocide, the the elimination of people, the condemnation of people to imprisonment, torture, etc., etc. All of that, that violence, actually has the effect of turning the Western those who believe in that, who are from the sacred space, the occupiers of the sacred space, who are actually turned into becoming in inhuman less, less than human they, in other words they have values and their racism and their the i mean just look at america and the shootings uh, that constantly happen uh, it's not merely because they're guns it is this idea that there is impunity for killing people who are not considered human so if you're left in the situation what, that there is no 
global standard for being human. One has to invent what it means to be human. And, and I think the, a, a very good example, which I think many listeners will, will recognize, is being the impact of the women's movement uh, across Africa, across Asia, across Latin America, across the, and, and North America and Europe. It's been quite striking that uh, in the early periods, it was about women's liberation. It was about connecting the identity of being a woman uh, or an oppressed person, sexually oppressed person, to being linked with freedom. It was about freedom. But what happened? The women began to organize in ways which were quite different to what the patriarchal influenced other organizations developed. They developed ways of converting, converging, conversing with each other, of, of collective work, of uh, even of giving freedom to giving expression to, to emotions, to, to, to beauty, to and, and the impact it has had on many men has been extraordinary because, because suddenly men begin to realize that it's okay to express emotion. It's, it's, it's okay uh, to, to learn from, from the, the way that women have learned to organize. Uh, and, and in that sense, the women are actually defining, they, are, they, are, they have defined what it means to be human. They, they have invented it. And in all revolutions, in all mass struggles, what you see is while they may begin as sectoral struggles, uh, you know, expressing an interest of a particular group, what happens in the process of those struggles is this extraordinary uh, transition that occurs that it is not merely about being a woman, but being a human, and therefore defining what it means to be human. It was the same thing with with uh, the struggles in Africa. One takes the case of Guinea-Bissau, uh, where the famous uh, leader of the Guinea-Bissau revolution, uh, uh, Amilcar Cabral, and and his he was quite insistent that it is about becoming human, about inventing what it means to be human that we have we have in our struggles redefined how to organize we have redefined what is our moral compass we've redefined how we relate to each other we redefine what the 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 the, the how we share how we we re, how we organize how women become part of the the uh, are considered human and are part of the, our political organizing. This, these were inventions. These were these were not just a struggle of a of people to just being Guinean. It was about inventing humanity. And I think that you know those who have been who been considered and condemned to the to the sacrificial zones. Uh, and, and, and considered less than human. And over years, their struggles against that become manifest eventually in asserting their humanity. And, and in asserting their humanity, there is no gold standard. And so it requires an invention. And it is, it's inspiring to watch in so many struggles that we have seen uh, 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 against the the domination uh, and exploitation and oppression, that that people respond by that, and and ultimately, 
they go beyond merely their own self-interest, but proclaim that this this is about humanity. And I think South Africa, there you you know you you referred earlier to this white woman, uh, a settler uh, who who talks and claims herself as South Africa. Well, that's you know really really important. It, there were many, many white people in South Africa who fought for liberation, who gave up their lives uh, against the apartheid uh, regime. And, and, and it's really, really important to recognize what was happening there was that their identification with, a, uh, with the, the, the most uh, uh, um, exploited and oppressed in the apartheid system and to be considered... As, as being human by other black people uh, was a huge compliment. Uh, and, 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 but it, it is a manifestation of the fact that we are all human uh, and, and that, uh, um, the, the, I mean, to go back to the sort of African continent, which has suffered so badly, I think this, you know, Africa was a place where, where humanity was, was born, was first uh, uh, found um, Homo sapiens was first found, but but I would I would argue that we are seeing, and we may happen in my life or may not, but but it's uh, inevitable I think a trend that in in Africa we will see the rebirth of humanity, the the the, the reclamation and invention of what it means to be human, and therefore to be African. Is is something uh, that is and should be intimately linked to the concept of freedom, of human emancipation, of a universalist uh, emancipation. That the, we have a responsibility not just for freeing ourselves, but freeing all of the world from the uh, condemnation uh, into. Uh, 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 becoming uh, less than human and inhuman in the case of of the the, the Western world. Okay, I, in a minute, I want to come back to the idea of African and Pan African and ask about uh, its usefulness and viability. But I want to put that aside for a second because I want to step back just a second to something you said and pose an analogy that 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 I hope I do correctly because if I do it incorrectly I may end up saying it really horribly. One of the things you pointed out which I think is super interesting is that with the 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 various different women's rights movements that what you had was women reinventing or reasserting and inventing their humanity and that in turn forced men to reinvent who they were. The example you used was the, the, the use of emotions. And that in turn, we reinvent and reassert a, a sort of global kind of humanity. When I think about the feminist movements, I think about there's a conversation between uh, feminists of my parents' generations and feminists of my students' generations. And the women of my parents' generations, uh, they were very anti pornography. They're very anti-prostitution. They thought that sex work was fundamentally dehumanizing. The students that I have, the, the, the self-identified feminist students that I have, see sex work as part of liberation, that being a, that there's nothing wrong with being a prostitute, that being on, on a cam or, or a sugar baby or anything like this is part of the legacy of feminism because women can use their sexuality in exactly the same way that men can, including um, 
using it as, as, as a, I can't think of the word, but as a consumer product, as a consumable. Now, this require, this, this is, this attitude horrifies uh, women of my parents' generation, feminists of my parents' generation, and they see it as, as not only a fundamental um, divide, but a fundamental um, regression. And I'm wondering, is there an analogy there between an earlier time when African liberation meant a certain kind of humanism and and not being subject to the labor of others, not being subject to the exploitation of others, wanting to be their own agents? And is there a generation now that sees liberation as being able to get a job at Google, <laughs> being able to have the resources that people can extract, getting your respect by being an economically viable agent um, as opposed to something else. Uh, uh, an, another analogy, and I don't want to go too far with this, is that among um, gay liberation activists of my parents' generation and actually of my generation as well, being accepted uh, means having pride parades and being acknowledged uh, uh, by corporations. But the younger generation of gay activists hate the fact that Target is you know, pro-gay for one month out of the year. Right. So there's a similar, although inverse divide. Is there a divide in terms of development and the attitudes about development between younger and older generations of people who are working for this kind of liberation within Africa and the African countries? I mean, that's a very good question. And, 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 and what you're saying, I mean, I must belong to the, your parents' generation <laughs> as well. Um, and, and, and yes, I mean, I recognize what you're, you're saying. I mean, it's, it's what I hear uh, amongst young students and so on and so forth. But I, but I, but I think the, 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 the difference is that there are two dimensions. The first dimension is, is that the, there is a certain level of depoliticization. It's no longer about the struggle for freedom or emancipation or of invention of means to be human, but a uh, a compromise to say it's about equality of, of equal uh, respect and and uh, having a, a, a being given respect for one's particular identity or group. What that means is that it focuses on a sexual interest uh, and and it limits the debate to the the recognition of identity and respect which is all fine but it's detached from the idea of freedom of of human emancipation uh, it is only when they engage in real struggles against patriarchy or against colonialism or against neo-colonialism that we have a situation where uh, there, there's a change. It, there's a, a complete change in the way uh, people people talk about it. It it becomes a struggle for freedom, not so much equality. Now you know after all these years, where where for five hundred years uh, Europe has and 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 the West has been. Uh, dehumanizing itself, uh, demonstrating its lack of humanity through its murders, its wars, its killings, its genocides, and so on. And and uh, uh, we don't want to become like that. I mean, you know, 
black people who are fighting for freedom, Africans who are fighting for freedom, don't want to become like their oppressors. Uh, it, that is not freedom. That's, it's becoming one of them. It's joining the, 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 the club of the privileged. Um, and, and the other dimension of it is, I think, important. The, the, uh, the, the experience of those who are born, brought up and living in the sacrificial zones are completely different to those who live in the, in the uh, sacred zones. Uh, because in the sacred zones, there are privileges. Uh, and uh, there is an aspiration to be equal, to be considered equal to everyone else. But in the sacrifice zones, it isn't about wanting to be equal uh, because, because they don't want to become oppressors. They don't want to become like that. And I, and I, and I, and I think the COVID uh, pandemic, and I think Kenya is an example, but we can use South Africa, we can use uh, Senegal, we can use many of other countries. We're running out of time, so I just want to ask you, sort of circling back to the beginning, is the term Africa a viable term? Is it a useful term? Or is it so steeped in the legacy and so aggregating that we really need to think of these places as individual countries, individual cultures, and individual people? Well, they are individual cultures, individual people. There's a richness uh, in, in, in that. But it doesn't mean uh, that uh, their aspiration for freedom uh, should not be considered as a central defining feature. That to be African is to embrace and to embody that history that we talked about of enslavement, of colonialism, of the struggle for freedom, uh, and the struggle to, to define oneself as human and to be, be those who define, uh, uh, what it means to be human. Uh, and, and I, and I think that ethos existed for a long time from, from the 1950s, uh, to, to, I think well into the 80s and 90s. But I think with the rise of neo-colon, of, of neoliberalism and neo-colonialism, the reassertion of the values of liberalism, uh, we see a depoliticization, a, a, uh, occurring that, that uh, ignores the the voices of of those who are in the sacrificial zones, those who are engaged in struggles for freedom, uh, and detaches our cultures' histories from the politics of colonialism, of imperialism, which gets ignored when you only look at at culture, when you only look at territory. Uh, but rather to say, look, uh, you cannot, to go back to your first question, you cannot talk about Africa without also talking of its history. Um, I, 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 it always amazes me. Americans always talk about their history. They always talk about their constitution. They always talk about their founding fathers. The, the, the British always going on and on about that. The French always going on and on about their, their history. But when it comes to Africa, there's a certain denial 
uh, that oh no, these are just culture. These are just people who are uh, who are uh, tribal, who uh, have have different cultures and so on, um, and and their history is detached from their identity, uh, and and it's um, it's part of this racist discourse about Africa uh, that, like Hegel said, Africa has no history. Well, you know. Uh, uh, that's the foundation upon which racism was built. <laughs> and, 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 and Hale got a lot more <laughs> wrong than that. Um, but, um, I, you know, I, I have to stop, but I'm in a bind here because this is one of those episodes where now after talking to you for an hour, I feel like I'm ready to start the episode, right? I feel like <laughs> I was unprepared for the conversation and now I have at least a starting point. So Feroz, I really hope you'll come back and join. This is this is an open invitation because this was this was paradigm shifting for me and incredibly challenging and incredibly interesting. And like I said, I now feel like I'm at a place where I can begin. And so I hope that you will um, <laughs> consent to join us again sometime in the future. I'd be happy to do so. Uh, and thank you for having me on the show. It's been a really interesting discussion. I think they're the great questions that you posed. Uh, and help tease out a lot of issues. Um, but a conversation like this, yeah, uh, we will continue. <laughs> Excellent. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I will be back with a few more thoughts right after this. You've been listening to Jack Russell Weinstein and Feroz Manji on Why Philosophical Discussions About Everyday Life. <laughs> Visit IPPL's blog, PQED, Philosophical Questions Every Day, for more philosophical discussions of everyday life. Comment on the entries and share your points of view with an ever-growing community of professional and amateur philosophers. You can access the blog and view more information on our schedule, our broadcasts, and the Y Radio Store at www.philosophyandpubliclife.org. And we're back. You're listening to Jack Russell Weinstein on Why Philosophical Discussion of Everyday Life. We were talking with Feroz Manji about Africa and what it means to be African. And we took <laughs> wide turns, a deep look at such complicated things that, as I said when I was saying goodbye to him, I really feel like I'm just now ready to begin. And there are all sorts of questions that I didn't get to ask him. Uh, I didn't get to ask him about these terms that he started using, the sacred versus the sacrificial zones, which seem super interesting and super important. We also didn't get to talk about this concept of bodies, right? The example I used of the feminism, one of the distinctions is between women as whole people and women as agents of their own bodies. Uh, obviously, the two generations have very different meanings of those things, and the debate between equality and identity, the debate between equality and freedom, these all have to do with the body as agent, the body as commodity. And that's the word I was looking for earlier, the commodification of bodies. All these threads that I really would still like to pull. But he said something towards the end that I thought was a really fascinating idea to reassess and 
to circle around to as an ending. And that is the idea that we have to think of people on the African continent as more than just their fight for liberation. That when we think of people only as agents who are fighting for acknowledgement, who are fighting against an oppressor, who are trying to change the legacy of their history, then we only see them two-dimensionally. We don't necessarily see them as people who love one another, people who are creative agents, people who have their own aspirations. When you're fighting against colonialism, you don't get a chance to talk about how you really just want to go backpacking somewhere or you want to play with Legos or you want to invent the new type of computer or you want to discover the atom, right? We don't talk about the families and the relationships and the love of parents and children and 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 all of the different ways that people engage with the world. And this is the flip side of this conversation. We have to talk about the struggle for liberation because we have to talk about acknowledging what it means to be human beings and the Africans' attempts to reinvent their humanity so that other people can acknowledge it and see it, and sometimes even their own cases, acknowledgement and see it. But we also have to walk past that notion of inventing the human so that people can be human and live as human and experience as human and share as human and love as human. And this is why we need a philosophy of Africa. And this is why we need a philosophy of Africa written by, defended by, articulated by, and explored by Africans. Because if we're defining this philosophy for other people, we are never going to get the fullness that we would when people speak for themselves. And that's what we need to do next. Figure out how everyone, but in particular those folks on the African continent, get to speak for themselves. With that said, please rate us on iTunes and Spotify to help spread the word about the show. And please help us continue to broadcast by contributing at whyradioshow.org. Click donate in the upper right-hand corner. Thank you for listening. We're grateful to have you in the audience. As always, it's an honor to be with you. Why is funded by the Institute for Philosophy and Public Life. Prairie Public Broadcasting, and the University of North Dakota's College of Arts and Sciences and Division of Research and Economic Development. Skip Wood is our studio engineer. The music is written and performed by Mark Weinstein and can be found on his album Louis E. Soul. For more of his music, visit jazzflutewinestein.com or myspace.com slash markweinstein. Philosophy is everywhere you make it, and we hope we've inspired you with our discussion today. Remember, as we say at the Institute, there is no ivory tower. 